Hey there, welcome back. You know, war, since the beginning, was the main business of Rome. They expanded outward from their city, conquering and assimilating the Italian peninsula. On the south, they took Magna Grecia, and on the north, the Etruscans. By the year 265 before Common Era, Rome ruled a united Italy, I mean from Tuscany to Sicily. Next, they conquered the less organized but more cultured Greek civilization that had dominated the Mediterranean Sea for centuries. So now, with a thriving economy and an army of 500,000 soldiers, this is an incredible number, the next enemy was Carthage. The Phoenicians came from the eastern Mediterranean, you know, the modern-day Palestine and Israel. They set up a trading empire that spread right as far north as the English Channel. One of their trading outposts grew into a powerful trading city with an army and empire, Carthage. Between the years 264 and 146 before Common Era, Rome fought three so-called Punic Wars with Carthage. You know, Punic Wars comes from the Latin word with which the Romans called the Phoenicians from Carthage. The island of Sicily became the casus belli. The Carthaginians were good fighters at sea with their great ships. But the Roman Republic preferred fighting on land. So the Romans managed to copy and improve their rival ships and win. So round one to the Romans. In the Second Punic War, fought between 218 and 201 before Common Era, Hannibal, this brilliant young commander, launched a surprise attack on Rome. Instead of taking the obvious route across the Mediterranean, he crossed from North Africa into Spain and uh, with this army of 50,000 men and even 50 elephants. For that time this was an incredible adventure, especially for 50 elephants that the Romans never saw before. He marched for 2,000 kilometers, 1,200 miles uh, overland. Hannibal crossed the Alps and penetrated Italy from the rear basically from where the Romans weren't expecting any trouble. For almost 15 years, he was the affliction of the Italian peninsula. One of the most extraordinary tactical feats in military history and one of the worst defeats of Rome happened on the 2nd August 216 near the ancient village of Cani in uh, Apulia. The Carthaginians, led by Hannibal, surrounded and practically annihilated a larger Roman army. Of the Roman infantry, 70,000 were killed and 10,000 captured. The Roman Republic could only force Hannibal to go home by attacking Carthage itself. He rushed back to his hometown, but the Roman general Scipio defeated him and forced Carthage to surrender. Rome 2, Carthage 0. In the Third Punic War, 
fought between the years 149 and 146 before common era, the Romans burned and sacked Carthage. According to the official Roman Republic's version of the events, no stone stood on another. The people were driven out and sold as slaves. And the Romans even sowed salt into the fields so that the crops wouldn't grow back. This is something that we all know, right? It's a real story? Well, no, for different reasons. Salt was an expensive commodity and the pragmatic Romans wouldn't have been so wasteful with it. Rome became increasingly dependent on foreign sources of grain and was not likely to ruin good farmland that might be used to feed their hungry citizens. The Roman Republic was thinking colonizing Carthage and found a colony there. It failed for various reasons, but the attempt would not have been made if the earth surrounding Carthage had been salted. About a century later, Emperor Augustus did refound Carthage as a Roman city. It lasted until the year 698, when the Muslims destroyed it. The Roman Republic was firmly in place within 200 years. The people chose officials as their representatives to run the state and make decisions. These officials were called magistrates. They were advised by a small number of aristocrats, so I mean people from influential and wealthy families who made up the Senate. And you know, a senator's job was for life. The Senate controlled state spending, Rome's rule of its empire, and advised magistrates. The Senate was led by two chief magistrates. You can even call them consuls. These consuls served for just one year to prevent them from becoming too powerful. The people didn't directly elect the members of the Senate. Prime Romans chose them. Their role was to discuss the political issues of the state and give out written decrees or official bits of advice for, for the magistrates and councils to follow when waging wars or spending public money. The Senate was often a wild place full of speeches interrupted by shouts, boos and arguments about how money was to be spent. We can say that Romans conquered not only because they were good soldiers, but also because of their business skills. The people dominated by Rome knew they had joined the winning team and that political stability would replace barbarian invasions. Anywhere they settled, the Romans built an infrastructure of roads, schools in which they teached Latin, police stations and water supply systems. Now it was possible to have a standard language and currency. Roman merchants traded their wine, salt and olive oil for foreign goods. Rome invested heavily in cities that were strategic for trade. 
So anywhere they went, the Romans impressed with massive engineering projects. Stadiums, temples, palaces, aqueducts, or fortified walls. Rome was the ruler of Europe and the Mediterranean. We know the most significant business was the war. It ensured spoils of war and slaves. Based on small farms and trading, the regional economy had been transformed into an economy of military conquest. The wealthy patricians quarreled with the plebs, which was the working class, and the growing population of slaves. Who demanded more respect? In the year 73 before Common Era, a slave named Spartacus, he was a freeborn who'd been forced to fight as a gladiator, escaped and started a rebellion. He fled to Mount Vesuvius and he gathered an army of... Uh, can you guess how many angry slaves joined his team? 70,000 slaves joined his team. For two years they ravaged the countryside and rebelled against Rome before the Senate crushed the revolt. The stakes were very high. Crassus and Pompey, the generals who finally defeated the rebellion, became consuls. Crassus was the richest man in Rome. He may have had the most wealth, but his greed for military glory destroyed him in the last days of the Roman Republic. Even Spartacus was killed in battle, and 6,000 of his rebels were rounded up and crucified, hanging from crosses lining a 100-mile stretch of the Appian Way as a warning. And by the way, if you want to see the entire walk of the ancient Appian Way is available on my YouTube channel. <laughs> You're welcome to take a look after this episode. All these rebels passed into legend. Years later, Spartacus remained a famous symbol of freedom against oppression. One of the soldiers who helped suppress the revolt was a young fighter named Julius Caesar. In the middle of the chaos of the civil war and class warfare, charismatic generals who could provide wealth and security became dictators. Men such as Crassus, Pompey, and Caesar. Julius Caesar, who lived between the years 144 before Common Era, gained celebrity in the years 58 and 50 by marching northward through France, known as Gaul. Germany, Belgium, and Holland, he erected a temple to Jupiter on the future site of Paris Notre Dame Cathedral. He even crossed the English Channel and landed the legions in Britain, at the time considered by the Romans to be past the age of the known world. Caesar was also a cunning politician, a magnetic speaker, and the queen of Egypt's lover, Cleopatra. He had enormous popular support and the backing of his troops. He praised the Republic, but in fact he ruled as a virtual dictator. In his four-year reign, through many reforms, 
He centralized the government around a single ruler. Guess who? Himself, of course. He even named the month after himself. Guess what? July. <laughs> okay, jokes aside, Caesar misjudged those who supported the old republic and they feared that he would make himself a king. On the Ides of March, so the 15th March, 44 before Christ, at the peak of his power, a group of assassins surrounded Caesar during a Senate meeting. They stepped up to take turns stabbing him while the senators sat in silence and watched. One of the killers was his adopted son, Brutus. An astonished Caesar died saying, Et tu, Brute, you too, Brutus. In modern popular culture, the phrase Et tu, Brute has become widespread due to its use in the William Shakespeare play Julius Caesar. Still, these are assuredly not accurate words. There is no evidence that Caesar spoke these words. The historical Caesar's last words are not known with certainty. The Roman historian Suetonius, a century and a half after the incident, claims Caesar said nothing as he died. I, I often hear questions about where I can see the palace of Caesar. Well, the Caesar's palace, so the place where the emperors of Rome lived, is on the Palatine Hill. It's a huge, splendid archaeological site. You can book with me a guided tour. Just go to my website, andrewkaminski.com. You'll find all the information to contact me and visit together the secret places of Rome. So, Julius Caesar died, but the concept of one-man rule lived on his adopted son and also grandnephew, Octavian. Caesar's assassination might have been the moment when the Roman Empire collapsed, mostly when Octavian and Mark Anthony, Caesar's fellow consul and close supporter, fell out and there was a renewed civil war. At the Battle of Actium in 31 before Common Era, Octavian triumphed over the combined forces of Mark Anthony and the Egyptian Queen Cleopatra. The victory brought Egypt and imagine how much of its immense wealth into the empire. The assassination of Julius Caesar in 44 before Common Era unleashed a violent struggle between the Republican partisans of his killers, Brutus and Cassius, and the defenders of Caesar's legacy, notably Octavian, which was his adopted son, and Mark Anthony. Relations between Anthony and Octavian deteriorated. Anthony had promised his mistress, Cleopatra, the cession of several Roman provinces. This led to a final rupture with the Roman Senate, which declared war on Anthony and Cleopatra in 33 before Common Era. Octavian gathered an army and sailed for Greece to gain control over Antony. By the year 31, in September, he and his deputy Agrippa had seized key garrisons loyal to Antony. They positioned themselves with a fleet of 230 ships north of Gulf of Ambracia, where Antony's smaller fleet of 
170 vessels was moored. Anthony resolved to break out to save what he could and, uh, on September the 2nd, sailed out to open water. His vessels engaged Octavian's squadrons, allowing Cleopatra to get away with their treasure. Anthony then broke off with a small flotilla, leaving the rest of his navy to fight an increasingly desperate struggle. Surrounded by Octavian's marines, Anthony's heavy ships were rammed, boarded or set alight. His land force rapidly surrendered. By the summer of the year 30, when Octavian arrived in Egypt, Antony had virtually no troops left. Faced with inevitable defeat, he and Cleopatra committed suicide, leaving Octavian the unchallenged master of Rome. Octavian killed Brutus eliminated his rivals, united Rome's warring factions, and took Augustus' title, which means great, powerful. More critical were Augustus' titles, which in Latin were Imperator and Princeps. Imperator simply means a military commander, but it began to say something much closer to Emperor under Augustus. Princeps originally meant the first citizen, in the sense of first among equals, but now it came to mean something very close to the English word that derives from it, prince. He established a dynasty to lead Rome, ensuring the family name Caesar became a title that would resonate throughout history. Caesar, Kaiser, Tsar. Augustus was the first of the emperors who would control Rome for the next 500 years. The emperors would rule like kings, with the backing of the army. Now the Roman Republic became an empire. Caesar bridged the gap between the Republic and Empire. Rome now was a collection of many diverse territories ruled by a single man. To make his status clear, Augustus started to wear a toga made of the most expensive color there was, purple. Augustus was utterly ruthless. When he decided he wanted to marry Livia, he didn't worry that they were both married, so he divorced his wife. According to some accounts, he did it the day she gave birth to their daughter, Julia and told Livia to divorce her husband and marry him. And despite this crazy start, the marriage was very successful. But Augustus was more sensitive to the Senate and its tradition. He lived simply and worked hard. Octavian declared himself the Pontifex Maximus, the highest priest, and tried to legislate morality. He reformed the government, restored temples, donated to the arts, and undertook massive public building projects. For all these reasons, he proudly said, I found Rome a city of brick and left it a city of marble. Unfortunately, Augustus and his wife Livia also produced an imperial family that was nothing but trouble. Like Tiberius, he was Livia's son by her first husband. He became paranoid as he got older. He left governing his henchmen and went off to the island of Capri. Not bad, right? 
he enjoyed a life full of rock and roll. Tiberius was probably murdered. Then we have Caligula, great grandson to Livia. He was handsome but stupid. He convinced himself that he was the god Jupiter. <laughs> and uh, he killed his sister and had an affair with her. He appointed his favorite horse, a priest, and a consul. His guards assassinated Caligula. Then we have Claudius, grandson to Livia. He conquered Britain and he also put down an attempted coup by his wife to cheer himself up Claudius married his niece, Agrippina, and she poisoned him. And then we have the rock and roll star of the emperors, Nero. He ruled between the years 54 and 68. He was the son of Claudius' wife and niece Agrippina by her first husband. He killed his mother. He killed Claudius' son, a rival her. He murdered his wife, Octavia, and kicked to death his second wife, Poppea, and she was pregnant. Nero fancied himself as a poet, actor, dancer and charioteer. Romans found his exhibitionism very undignified. Finally, the army staged a coup to get rid of him. He killed himself, pronouncing his last words. What an artist dies in me! Ironically, Nero almost certainly didn't carry out the most famous crime he's usually remembered for the Great Fire of Rome of the year 64. Evidence shows he took a hand in fighting the flames. We do know that Nero took full advantage of the Great Fire. Nero blamed the Christians for it and had hundreds of them put to death. On the ruins he also built a massive palace for himself, the Golden House. After Nero's death, there was a confusing power struggle with three emperors in one year. The man who came out on top was a victorious general who had made his name fighting in Judea, Vespasian. Vespasian restored law and order. He also built a vast amphitheater on the site of Nero's golden house. I'm talking about the Colosseum. Vespasian was famous for his irony and dying he commented on the Roman habit of declaring the emperors divine. I think I'm becoming a god. So, however, after Rome became a republic by the second century before Common Era, it was already a city that controlled the western Mediterranean. The troops had more loyalty to the generals than to distant politicians. That's how men like Pompey or Caesar became so powerful. Peasants, followed by slaves and freedmen from conquered lands, started to arrive in the city. The population rose to half a million. In the previous episode, we've talked about uh, the early Rome of the kings, and the population was 30,000. Now, the population rose to half a million. And you need to imagine plenty of work for the newcomers, construction of roads, aqueducts, temples and market. Taxes on Rome's expanding trade financed all these works. So thank you very much. With this second episode, you just discovered how Rome expanded from a small village to the biggest city in the world. So don't miss the next episode.
the next episode will be epic. I can't wait to tell you more of the story of Rome. I'm your host, Andrew Kaminsky. If you want to talk about Roman art or history in between the episodes, you should follow me on my Instagram at KaminskyAnt. Now you can subscribe here and leave a comment. Take care. Ciao!